welcome back to another edition of Boilers Extra. I am Nathan Baird from the Journal and Career, along across the table from my colleague Mike Carmen here. Um, you might be able to hear it raining once in a while, even here in our nice studios on the east side of Lafayette. Uh, you know, just where we expected to be, Purdue one and three at this point <laughs> of the season, and a road favorite going into Nebraska <laughs> this weekend. I'm not sure if that says more about Purdue or if it says something about just the Big Ten West in general right now, which seems to be kind of a land of chaos. Well, if you if you go back to the uh, predictions podcast, uh, I did say that this would be a swing game for Purdue. Correct. The Nebraska game would be a swing game for Purdue, but I I didn't I didn't anticipate them being one <laughs> and three. I thought at worst they'd be two and two. I don't think you expected Nebraska to be winless at this point either. No, coming off uh, of a well, soul crushing loss. They did to, they did have a game canceled the first game. True, uh, but. Uh, you know they lost to Colorado, which might not be a big surprise. But then losing to Troy, even though Troy has beaten teams before, um, probably was a surprise. So yeah, both teams are not in the position they want to be in. But this is what we have. I mean, we speculated in the press conf- or press box on Saturday would Purdue actually be a favorite in this game? It is three points, but if you give the home team, you know, three points, so it's kind of an even matchup a little bit. So, I mean, we, we can go into a whole thing about what being favored means and what the points mean. And, and I think fans sometimes, or people, just don't understand necessarily what it's about. It's really more about the people who are setting the lines wanting to get as many bets on both sides of the equation because then it they come out ahead, it covers them on both the sides, whatever. But I also think this line this week is an overreaction to what happened last week. Correct, on both sides. Both sides. Overreaction to Nebraska getting beat by 47 because that's what the public sees and they don't see a very good team. You mm-hmm. know, and you know maybe they're not. Right. And then they see Purdue beating a ranked team, so they must be better. And it, you're right. It's all about how they can get the money on both sides so they come out ahead. And there's a reason why all those lights in Vegas stay on. There's a reason why <laughs> it's called gambling. Yep. Uh, and, and and that's why usually the house wins most of the time when they can get money on both sides. And this is a game probably will will probably, I would think, remain around a field goal. Uh, I'll be curious as you get deeper into the week if if uh, one team, if, if the line drops two and a half or gets, gets up to three and a half uh, based on, on where the money's going. So I, I think people, you know the the big betters are probably just kind of waiting to to see if it does move ever, anywhere, or they could just be saying, "I'm not touching this." It, it's just there's just too many questions, and both teams don't have good records. Both teams, uh, you know, I think Nebraska probably has looked worse than Purdue, uh, considering with, the schedule. Yeah, overall, uh, where if you if you if you've taken time to watch the Purdue games, maybe not all of them, you've seen some. Some some good play and some some bad play, and most of them have been you know silly mistakes and things that we've covered over time. So the, you know maybe the perception is that Purdue is better than than Nebraska, but I don't I wouldn't hang my hat on the point spread to <laughs> sway my opinion one way or another. Right, because based on the point spread, they're saying Purdue is basically like a touchdown favorite, is a touchdown better than Nebraska. I don't know if I can go there, and I also don't know how much I necess- I understand what you're saying about. Nebraska has looked worse, 
But, you know, Purdue still has the home loss to Eastern Michigan. It still, you know, it hasn't looked great on its own accord until this past week. It obviously had its best week by far. What it hasn't had yet is that game where it just goes out and gets drilled by someone. But it also hasn't played a team as good as Michigan yet. No, and that's, I mean, if, if, if when you're comparing the scores and the teams, Eastern Michigan and Troy kind of balance each other out. Mm-hmm. You know, Colorado's a, a Power 5 team. Yeah. Um, so so northwestern Northwesternish type of thing. You know, both were close games. And then, you know, Boston College and Michigan. Michigan's obviously superior talent-wise to Boston College. Um, so, and then you got the Missouri game in there, which, um, you know, again, if you're just looking at the scores – and the point loss, you know, Purdue seems to be in every game, and they have been in every game where, you know, things got away from Nebraska last week. If anything, Purdue may even have a slight advantage by having played more games at this point. I think Nebraska, at least, I don't know if they're trying to use an excuse, but they certainly felt like losing that game early may have led to some of the problems they had the succeeding weeks. I don't. Well, know they haven't had that. their their starting quarterback that they they went with at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. He didn't play against Troy. Only played a half against Michigan. Uh, so he needs some more game experience. Uh, he's a true freshman. Uh, so, you know, they're all working through a lot of things right now, and you're, you're just changing the whole vibe of the program. You know, a couple times uh, over the last three weeks, you hear Scott Frost say, you know, changing the culture and uh, things like that. And you've just, you know, when at a place like Nebraska, which is, you know, it's still a big-time program, when you get a scholarship offer there or you're on the team, there's a little bit of sense of entitlement. And, you know, I'm at Nebraska. I'm playing football. Now, you, you under the Mike Riley era, you probably had a guys that didn't work as hard. And Scott Frost, you know, there's a reason why they made a coaching change. Right. <laughs> Honestly, it's a kind of growing pains you probably would have um, not expected but excused if Purdue had had them early last year. Yeah. No, With the kind no of question. I mean, if, if Purdue had started 0-3 last year and kind of in the same situation, getting blown out. Um, Honestly, it still would have been Daryl Hazel starting 0-3 last year. Right. That's the way people would have and looked that's at how, that's how people would have, have justified them being that way. Oh, it's right. going to take time. It's, right. uh, you know, wait till you get to year two and three. And Like, we thought it was bad, but it was even worse <laughs> than we thought. Like, that kind of right. thing. That's the kind of thinking, that, the spin that sometimes happens in those. But also, think, you know, credit to Brahm and his staff for coming in and taking those players and getting Correct. seven wins out of them. Right. Now, it's not to say that Frost and his staff are not good, but, you know, that's, that's, a, young, that's a young staff that hadn't been together a long time because, you know, Scott doesn't have a lot of long head coaching experience. You know, he gathered that, that group together uh, for uh, Central Florida and – you know they they hit the because they went from zero and whatever to twelve and zero right in a in a heartbeat. quote unquote national champions <laughs> well <laughs> I guess they hand out trophies to anybody <laughs> um, so uh, you know I, it's it's a good hire for Nebraska and I think in the long term it will it will serve the program well to have him have him there but they 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 need to get on track and this this is a huge game for them when you look at who they have coming up. Before we get too far into this specific matchup, the Big Ten West in general right now, you got five of the seven teams are 0-1. One of the teams that isn't is Northwestern, which hasn't looked very good since it beat Purdue and then just lost, sadly, its sophomore running back uh, Jeremy Larkin to a career he's retiring for, for medical reasons. And then, so Wisconsin just beat Iowa. 
is it too early to just say? I mean, that's that's the Big Ten West to me right there. I don't know who else or what else would have to happen now for someone to overtake the Badgers and win this division. Well, the, the, that's true when you just look at the games in the West. But Wisconsin, I think, has a pretty difficult road schedule when playing the East. Good point. And I think they're playing some heavy hitters this year that if they show up like they did against BYU or, you know, there's teams in the East that can yep. that can take them apart, which has been proven uh, in the Big Ten championship game <laughs> in, oh, yeah. in, in recent years. So yes. you could have a situation where, you know, based on who you're playing from the East, you know, Iowa conceivably could run the table. And, and Wisconsin loses twice to teams from the East, but right. stays undefeated against teams from the West, and then Iowa's your champion. On, at some level, that doesn't seem it doesn't fair. seem fair. Like, why, why do you have the divisions then if divisional play doesn't but play that, a big factor? But that's in the way sports works. Not all sports. Well, I mean, look at the NFL. I mean, your your overall record determines whether you get in the playoffs or not. Not your record against the NFC North if you're the Bears or the Packers, the Lions or the Vikings. Very true. The, but a portion of your a portion of your non conference a portion of your non division schedule is the same as the other people in your conference. True. Not the whole thing, right. but a portion of it. Right. That, that part of it is a little bit out of whack mm-hmm. uh, because you're not playing the same teams. Um, same in baseball, you don't necessarily play all the same interleague teams. Right. Those sorts of things, you right. don't necessarily play teams from other divisions the same number of times at home and away that the people in your right. but if you if, if we didn't have divisions in the big 10 and you just had one through 14 it would be it would be the same thing because you just can't play right you just can't play everybody so i that's the way the the system is set up and it and it, it does depend on your schedule a little bit because there are probably teams in the west that get rutgers and indiana and maryland and it's also worth saying that I think the the point of the let's face it the point of the Big Ten championship game is to get the two best Big Ten teams there that they can because there's times where that's going to be both of them could be in contention for a playoff spot. You want to be able to get so you, you want to lessen the chances that a bad divisional team somehow sneaks its way all the way up there and then something goes haywire and you lose other opportunities for the well if that's the case then they shouldn't have divisions yeah i suppose yeah i mean you you would take the um but i mean i I think the rules are still written that in order to have a championship game you have to have divisions right but if you were looking for your two best teams you wouldn't have divisions you would just just play come up with some schedule uh and then you would probably have a rematch between Ohio State and Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, you know, who, yeah. whomever. Because, you know, this is what happened in the Big 12 several years ago. They had divisions, and South was better than the North, and it showed all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Big 10 has been compared to the Big 12 in that regard, where you, you're strong on one side um, and, and weak on the other from from top to bottom. Uh, so, I, but I, I – I don't know how you fix it. They tried with leaders and legends and it didn't work. And now we're, you know, we do it by where you, where your campus is. And, um, and that's just, that's just the way it is. But, um, I I don't know if the big 10 gets its two best teams in a championship game year in and year out. I mean, Wisconsin is definitely worthy of, of being in there and they, 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 they've been worthy of, uh, being in that game in the past. 
Um, they just haven't performed well, you know, all the time in that in that game. They've gotten they've gotten railroaded, you know, not railroaded, but they've gotten pushed out of Lucas Oil Stadium. Yeah, relative, and you know, Nebraska's been in that position too, where they've they uh, they played in the in the title game and just got you know run out of Indianapolis, Indiana, and the Midwest back to Lincoln in a hurry. Well, let's face it, the imbalance that's happened here these last few years is the perception of imbalance between the East and West. One of the big factors in that has been the dip that Nebraska has taken. They're supposed to be a almost blue blood top of college football program consistently, and they've been pretty mediocre at best here these last couple of years, and that's been a factor here. If if Nebraska was a top 15, 20 team consistently here these last three, four years, and they're up there battling with Wisconsin, Iowa getting in the conversation, I don't think people see that the, no. the perception isn't as skewed. No, and I, I, the, the, the hope is that Frost brings that back to some level. It's not coming back to the, the three champ, national championships in four years that they had in the 90s, but uh, – I think that's you know I, I think that's what Nebraska people expect and what they want is just be in the conversation now, uh, and then win that West. Uh, most Nebraska fans want them to win it every year, but that's not going to happen. But right, being you know when when Nebraska goes to Wisconsin in two weeks, that should be a meaningful game, and right now that's not going to be a meaningful game, not for it's be an avoidable game. <laughs> It is. But, I mean, like, who wanted to really watch that <laughs> Michigan-Nebraska game? Well, I, mean, I think before the game, you you look at it, and then you saw what happened. It's like, yeah. okay, I need to turn away from this. You're certainly not watching the whole thing, probably, <laughs> unless you're you know a Wolverines fan, I suppose. Tell us a little bit about the, the Cornhuskers as you see them this year. Like I said, you've got a true freshman at quarterback. But what is going wrong for them, and is there something that Purdue can exploit, or is there something that Purdue should maybe be wary of um, based on – what, Purdue, what Nebraska puts on the field. Well, offensively, they're going to spread you out, and that's that's going to be a concern for Purdue's defense. As well as Purdue's defense played last week, and it did, uh, when you look at what happened in those first three weeks. Um, it it They were – because Boston's college's formations were pretty tight, they used a lot of tight ends, um, Purdue was able to, to put a lot of people in the box. You know, Thieneman was up on the line of scrimmage. Derek Barnes was up on the line yeah. of scrimmage. Marcus Bailey was up on the line of scrimmage. So they're able to, to to crowd that line of scrimmage, and they were able to make some plays off of that. This week, similar to Missouri, similar to Northwestern a little bit, um, maybe not as much as Eastern Michigan, but, you know, they're going to get spread out a little bit more. And can you have the same impact that you had last week? I mean, I think, you know, Boston College is a better team than Nebraska, but – Nebraska scheme and how they run their plays is going to cause the defensive problems because now you're putting you're putting more guys in space than what you want to and they're going to be asked to make plays in space and while Marcus Bailey clearly can do it not everybody can and but what you want is to kind of still generate that same kind of pass rush get that pressure uh, against them so and you know you're facing a quarterback that doesn't have a ton of experience. He he's he's got a knee injury that he suffered against Colorado. Um, it held him out for the next game against Troy. Um, he only played the first half against Michigan. So here's a guy that is is nowhere near um, any kind of finished product, and it won't be this year uh, in in this the first year of the system. They haven't run the ball that well. Um, their leading rusher has 171 yards, Greg Bell. Uh, now, granted, these you know, three game totals, they, they have one less game than Purdue. Um, 
you know, both quarterbacks, you know, they're completing over 60%. Um, but they, you know, they've also turned it over four times. You know, they have a couple receivers that are going to cause the cornerbacks in secondary some problems. Stanley, Stanley Morgan Jr., I think he's caught at least three passes and a bunch of games. I don't, I don't know the exact number <laughs> there. But, you know, they've got some playmakers there that are going to cause the defense some problems. Uh, you know, Purdue offensively, um, you know, they, they, I thought they ran the ball a little bit better last week because they committed to it. I think they had tw- uh, DJ Knox and Marco Jones had a combined 28 carries last week compared to nine against Missouri. That was more of a commitment to the run and the more the fact that Purdue had a lead, uh, especially in the second half. And they combined for 91 yards, which I don't think is bad. Uh, they didn't average a lot of yards per carry. Uh, but I thought they they got some they got some yards when they needed to like I think on the opening drive opening TD drive for Purdue DJ carried it five times including the the, the two yard touchdown so but it wasn't his longest gain of the of last week was eight yards and Markell's longest run was sixteen and that came right before Rondell Moore's uh, right. nine yard touchdown pass so they they got something out of their running game they get didn't get the week before and I think they need to get a little bit more out of it this week. You know, David Blau's just in a pretty good zone right now. And I, I think yep. you just ride that until that that water runs dry, if it does. Um, he's been he's been pretty efficient, uh, over 72% the last two weeks. Six touchdowns, one interception. And historically, in his three games against Nebraska, he has performed pretty well. Uh, so there, there's a lot of things like about Purdue's offense going into this. You know, I think defensively, Nebraska's just – still kind of figuring out who who it is uh you know it's a whole new staff it's a whole new scheme uh, and you know Purdue's going to have to protect Blau a little bit better but he's also going to have to get the ball out of his hands a lot quicker than he did last week thought he held on to it too much which resulted in in, in five sacks not all that is on him but um there were times he just and you know one thing about David that we we've seen over the years is that when he gets pressure he gets happy feet and he doesn't get his feet set, then he's ready to throw, and that's where you have the mistakes. Mm-hmm. So if you can keep him comfortable in the pocket, let him roll out when he wants to, because he just doesn't have the arm strength that when he gets pushed out of the pocket to throw on the run and still get juice behind that ball. Uh, so if they, if they can protect him, I, you know, I would expect Purdue's offense to, to have another good day. If we had sold a sponsorship for the Kirk Barron underbutt update, <laughs> we'd have to give back a week at least because there's no drama this week. No. Uh, Jeff Brom's already said that David Blau is his team's starting quarterback now. We don't know how long in the future that'll go. It might still be a game-by-game, week-by-week thing that has to be asked of him. But all along we've been trying to tell people that it isn't that Jeff Brom is wishy-washy or indecisive it's that neither of these guys had stepped up to that point especially the way the first couple games went and just claimed the job and now a combination of Sundelar's lingering injury plus the way David Blau's played these past two weeks I think that has happened I think right now David Blau has to be this team's starting quarterback it seemed like an easy decision to me it does but then you get into the next game and does that's he, what I'm saying. It could yeah, all change this week. Does he pull a Sindelar and get three interceptions in the first half? And, yeah. and Brom's got to got to go with uh, assuming Elijah is ready to go. You you put him into the game because that's that's Jeff's history with this thing, and and this is a really really important game that you can't 
just let go by the wayside. You've got to figure out a way to try to win it. But yeah, I mean, I, I think David David has earned the spot, just like he was ready to earn the spot last year, late in the year, before his broken ankle. Um, but right. I, I still think that you're going to see Sindelar at some point. You're going to see um, you're going to see him in the game in a meaningful situation because that's just the way I think it's going to work. Now, if David continues to do what he's he's been doing and the offense is productive and they're scoring points, yeah, I mean, Jeff will, Jeff will stick with him. But, I, you know, we've got a long way to go in this year. Still got two months of the season left. We've only reached four games, so right. we've got eight more to go. I, I still think Sindelar plays a role, and I would like to see a healthy Sindelar, especially, you know, from his knee standpoint, because last year when he had the torn ACL, they, they pulled back the playbook. They didn't call everything. They still pushed the ball downfield, but not as much as maybe they did against Missouri. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see Sindelar get that kind of game plan and see what he can do with Rondell Moore and see what he can do with receivers now in one-on-one situations because you're paying more attention to Rondell Moore. This is I'm not favoring one quarterback over the other, but you know, Sindelar's got that arm that you would like to see. And that was the plan going in Missouri. Sindelar yep. was going to be that guy that was going to push the ball downfield. They're going to be more aggressive. And then uh, the injury happened on, on Wednesday. So both guys are I think are going to be needed and um, but right now you, you ride you ride the hot hand. Even if it's just for scenarios where 18 seconds left in the first half. Purdue has a ball at its own 37 yards line. Yard line. It has two timeouts. It needs to gain a bunch of yards quickly to try to get in position for points. That's where you would love, even if that's the only time you get to use them, a healthy Elijah Sindel that you can put on the field, throw that Hail Mary, throw that, launch those deep balls, because he can he can help you in a way there that maybe David Blau can't. But I think you're right. It, it, I, I don't expect maybe this to just this scenario to last all season. At some point, Elijah Sindelar is going to be healthy again. At some point, David Bauer probably won't have a 21 of 28 game. He'll have a game where there's more turnovers, and then the question does arise again. Probably, yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think this is the last time we'll be asking, "Who's your starter this week?" <laughs> type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's. Yeah, I think that's that's been decided. Um, well, let's shift from football now over to basketball for a bit. Um, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. First official practice for Purdue basketball is today. I think the season starts 40-some days from now. Purdue gets to hold you know 30 practices over that, that time period. A lot of teams are starting today, tomorrow, maybe Thursday. Um, there's some you get it's baked into the rule you get some versatility there some to to decide how you want to do it and i think matt painter likes that you get he likes starting it as early as he can and then spreading in some more off days and some some things like that so uh before we talk a little bit more about that um i'm going to kick it over to an interview i did with uh, a player who won't be around till next year but it's uh valparaiso's brandon newman who officially committed to purdue last week became the third member of this 2019 class along with Isaiah Thompson from Zionsville and Newcastle's Mason Gillis and uh, gives Purdue um, a really intriguing option at shooting guard, a guy that they had been interested in for a long time and uh, finally got the offer in the spring. And then um, he's obviously had a kind of some ups and downs 
throughout his recruitment over the last couple months. We talked about that. We talked about uh, just how he's trying to improve. Um, talked about playing with Thompson and Gillis. Just uh, several topics here. So we'll kick it to that and then come back and we'll kind of give you um, just some thoughts uh, going into the season for the Boilermakers as practice begins today. We have a new edition of Boilers Extra today. This is sort of a Purdue basketball recruiting edition. Or I guess actually it's, it's not a recruiting edition anymore. It's a commitment edition. So uh, we're joined by Brandon Newman from Valparaiso who committed to Purdue on Wednesday night. Brandon, how are things going up there today? Going great, going great. Happy to happy to be a Boilermaker. You said, uh, I heard another interview where you said that Purdue checked all the boxes. What Just what yes. is it? what is it about Purdue that seemed like the right fit? Um, a lot of different things went into that. I think um, to start off, you know, the situation that of the roster um, for this season and the following season um, that they'll be, you know, given that some guys leave, you know, after this after this season coming up, um, you know, there'll a lot of there'll be a lot of opportunity, you know, for me to to try to play and, and impact as a freshman. Um, I think that's very important to my family and I. And I think Purdue was the best spot for in, for that. Um, stability also as well, you know, with, with Coach Painter. Coach Painter has been, you know, at Purdue for a while now, um, and I don't I don't think he's going anywhere anytime soon. Um, style of play, you know, I think I fit in very very well, and you know, in how Purdue plays basketball. Um, also. You know, Purdue. I just, lo- I just loved it. I love, I loved when I went down. I loved the atmosphere. Um, I really had fun with with the team, and also with Isaiah and Mason. You know, those guys are pretty cool. So, all in all, it just it just felt right. Um, just kind of felt like home a little bit. You had a, an in home visit with Matt Painter on Tuesday night. What did he say to you that night, or maybe more importantly, what did you hear from him? that night that made an impact? Or was it not necessarily anything he said that night? How important was that visit in pulling the trigger to commit 24 hours later? I think it was really important. Um, And then to answer your question, like, you know, there wasn't anything, you know, that he said that, that, oh, I'm I'm committing now or anything like that. I think just just the fact that, you know, him and Coach Brantley, you know, had been up to Valpo um, three times in the last two weeks, you know, two times for um, open gym, and then also you know for um, for the uh, for the in home visit. You know, and no other school had done that. You know, out of my out of my top three or four. So you know that I, that really showed you know how much you know Purdue really wanted me. So you uh, your coach at Valparaiso, uh, Barrett Coolman, said when. Painter talked about shooting a lot of threes as your ears kind of perked up. But yet for an important skill for young players at, at all positions really is shot selection. How are you working on being confident as a shooter while also playing within the flow of an offense? I kind of, what do you feel like is the key to, to getting better there? Really just putting in the work. Really just, you know, shoot, working on shots that you're going to shoot in the game. Um, I think Coach Painter, Coach Painter, and I have talked about about that actually specifically. And he said, you know, you you can't get enough good threes. You know, you can't get enough you know good transition threes, kick out kick out threes, one count jumpers. You know, so I, f- I feel like if he 
if you're working on the if you're working on you know the shots, he's not and if you you know he's not gonna he's not gonna get on you for for taking that shot in the game if he's seen you work on it, you know, in practice or on your own time. You've had you know a lot's happened for you over the last six months. You had a kind of a big rush of offers towards the end of the high school season, end of the spring, and Purdue being one of those. You, you made a decision to go to prep school. You made a decision to come back. I know, obviously, as you, you said publicly, your mom's health was a factor there. Just how did you sort of work through the past six months or so? Because you had to deal with some things that maybe not every recruit in your situation had to deal with. Really just a, a lot of prayer, I should say, to start off with. Um, and kind of and kind of staying really tight within within the circle of people that I that I get advice from and talk to about about basketball and you know things that are in my life. Um, so the, those two things, you know, just you know, I don't I, I really don't know how we did it. You know, <laughs> I just want to you know, I guess give that, give that give that glory and credit to my parents. Um, high, my high school coach, you know, guys like Daryl Jackson that, that that I work out with and things like that, and then it's been a mentor to me, you know, from all the way from seventh or eighth, seventh eighth grade, you know. So those 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 are the people, and and also God, you know, do the prayer and things like that. But that's how, that's how I think. You, when I talked to you back in July, I think it was, you were still kind of conflicted about the decision to go to prep school, not because you didn't think it was a positive thing, but because you knew you'd be missing some things back home. I guess just how excited are you right now to be you – know, you, you have an open gyms and stuff right now with Valparaiso. How excited are you about the high school season ahead of you? Um, after, after, you know, figuring out where I want to go to school – um, I'm I'm really excited for the season. Um, I I can't wait. You know I'm I'm itching, so it, it feels good. It feels good to be back. You took your official, as you said, the same weekend as Isaiah Thompson and Mason Gillis, who were two guys who had already committed to Purdue. What excites you about playing together with them in the future? Um, I know that I know that they're really good players, and they're only going to get better from from now on. Um, so. I'm really excited on, on, on what what on what on what we can do for Purdue in the future. How do you is there something about your game that you feel plays well off of them? I know you've played with and against them in the past. Are there ways you feel like the three of you fit in together well? Yeah, I, I think you know Isaiah's a really really good point guard. He's got really good vision, um, and he'll be able to you know kind of create off the bounce and stuff like that, and create open shots for myself as well. Um, Mason, on the other hand, you know, I've only, I've only seen tape and things like that. I haven't you know, played with or against him, but, you know, I, I know he's a, I know he's a really, really good player. And it's, I don't, it's never been hard for me to play with new guys. So I think we, that'll work out just fine. Did you get a chance to play in an open gym on that weekend with the, with the whole team on the official yeah. visit weekend? Yeah. Was there anybody in particular that impressed you among the current Purdue players, or anything that stood out about that experience? Um, one person that stood out was Carson Edwards. Um, <laughs> I bet. You know, I, I like his game a lot. I'm gonna be playing. I'm gonna be paying really, really close attention to him. You know, this upcoming season. 
and kind of how he, you know, kind of plays and things like that. And, you know, look for any similarities and like, you know, just kind of, just kind of figure it all out. I'll, I'll be down for games and things as well, so that'll be fun. All right, thanks a lot, Brandon. Really appreciate you joining us on Boilers Extra this week, and uh, we'll talk to you again down the line. All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Um, All right, that was Brandon Newman, uh, 2019 Purdue men's basketball commit uh, on his on his status now. Uh, so store his name away <laughs> until signing day. Relevant next fall. <laughs> Just you know, we'll have well, more on him on signing day in November, correct. and then and then you wait for him to get here uh, next summer. Uh, so I mean, I guess one one good piece of information or news, I guess, is that you're gonna have three guys on the Indiana All Star team uh, yeah. next year. Purdue will have maybe have those. the, the, the uh, Gillis. We're not sure of just because, as people may know, he he had an injury in the spring. We're not exactly sure what happened. He's been pretty tight lipped about it, but it hasn't healed the way that he had hoped. So I, they're not sure how much of the high school season he'll be able to participate in, which may affect. I mean, just just based on his, just based on reputation and based on the talent that he has, he should be on the Indiana All Star team. Whether his full season participation plays a factor in him being picked for that, we'll right. see. But that that's that's the one that's up in the air. But I, I imagine you know Isaiah Thompson um, and Brandon Newman. I mean, Brandon Newman's gonna, if he averages twenty five points again and Valparaiso has the kind of season they're expecting to have. I think he's going to be in the Mr. Basketball conversation because there's a very good chance that's a team that goes. When I was in Illinois, we call it going downstate. It's not really the same here because everybody meets in the middle, but um, it's similar. It's it's you know I think that's a team that thinks it should be able to contend pretty deep in Class Four A this year. Yeah, and you might get a, a state tournament game like the semi-state at uh, at Lafayette Jeff. That would be yeah. That would actually be a really interesting pairing, and that's I think Zionsville probably expects to be at least in that conversation as well. Yeah, you you might cover that if that happens. We'll see. It probably <laughs> depends on what Purdue's schedule is that weekend. But what are your? Uh, I guess what what things are you looking for uh, to seeing these first few days of practice and and what and what can you gauge out of these early practices for for the men's basketball team? I think more than in any recent year, I'm really interested in usage, like how how Matt Painter expects to use this roster that he has because I feel like it's a more versatile roster than they've had in a while. You know, last year I think a lot of people were really locked into positions, which you're going to have when you have four seniors who are all starters and there's nowhere else you can really play Isaac Haas. And there, you know, Vince Edwards had some versatility, but within a starting lineup scenario, because of who else they had, there were only certain places you could put him. You had to have Carson Edwards on the floor. You had to have Dakota Mathias on the floor. That makes Vince Edwards the four by default. And all those people are playing 30-some minutes. So the the, the minutes kind of took care of themselves. The, the lineups kind of took care of themselves. This year, just my assumption is, and, and again, this is going to get figured out over the not just the next 43 days, but really over the next five months or whatever, is – how do how does this team is it more in flux is it more of a fluid thing not in flux in terms of who you can count on or anything like that but just in terms of what painter can do with these lineups because i think you know matt harms is sort of your default center but I, there's a lot of merit to maybe playing someone like evan boudreau there and going with a smaller lineup because you have some pieces whether it's obviously people know about carson edwards ryan klein but you've got people coming in behind like 
Eric Hunter and Sasha Stefanovic, and this is a way that you can still get four shooters on the floor and keep a really good rebounder in the game when you need to give Matt Harms a break. And, you know, what does Aaron Wheeler do? Is is he more con- limited to that four spot, maybe even defensively, or can he play more of a wing spot? Um, I, what do you do at point guard? Does Carson Edwards have to take that role more? Do you already believe in Nojel Eastern enough? Um, and because of that, are you going to see a lot of maybe four guard lineups? Because I think there's some interesting things Purdue can do there. It's it's not necessarily that Purdue has questions whether any of these people are good. I think it's more just a question of how does this group come together and what and where do you put the pieces? And I think that's going to be something that Matt Painter, as much as I think he likes stability and every coach likes to know I can count on this guy to do this thing and put him here, I, I, I do think it's going to give him some options in a league and in just in a schedule that they're going to play where you're going to face a variety of, of looks night in, night out. Well, it would, it would seem just from uh, as I view it from 10,000 feet, is that he's going to have more competition too, absolutely at, at other spots where we hear Jeff Brom talk about competition and getting guys, rotating guys in there to play and create that, you know, so everybody's still on edge type of thing. Where he, it appears that Painter can. Okay, Carson Edwards is your. It doesn't matter. You don't have a competition for Carson Correct. Edwards, right. and he can play anywhere he wants. He just plays the Carson Edwards <laughs> was, position, right? <laughs> but you've got a lot of. Uh, other guys and younger guys that are going to have to work to get playing time. And if you're not, you know, if you're not rebounding, then you're coming out. Or if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, then you've got somebody else that, and there's, it doesn't appear right now that there would be much of a drop off from the starters. You know, I thought last year they, you know, they had a core group. It was a good group, but there was a drop off once Mm -hmm. you went to the bench a little bit. And some of that was just youth and, not having that kind of experience, but now that you've got some more guys with experience, uh, it, it would seem like he's got a little bit more uh, old ammunition to to get guys to do what he wants them to do. And I think that's a really astute point. And it's you know going back to last year at this time, all five of those spots were locked in, and then kind of the narrative after that was. Um, how is PJ Thompson helping Nojel Eastern get better? How does Ryan Klein kind of want to become a version of Dakota Mathias coming off the bench. Um, how is Matt Harms learning and getting better because he gets has to go up against Isaac Haas? It was all about how these role players were going to try to maximize their small amount of time. And now it's more about which of these players is going to step up and really seize a, a big opportunity, potentially. Who can kind of maybe emerge as, as having a bigger role? I think just from talking to the assistant coaches and the people around the program, People are really excited about Eric Hunter. They think he's going to be an impact guy really early on. We've heard really good things about Aaron Wheeler in various facets going back to the spring. We've heard some interesting things about um, um, Emmanuel Dewona, who is someone who I think is still pretty raw, but he's impressed people with things he's done in the weight room um, and just especially what he can bring defensively. I think him and Harms together – just the, their size and what they can do as rim protectors is going to kind of harken back to what Purdue had a few years ago with AJ Hammonds and, and the kind of shot blocking they had back then. So th- they have some options. I think now that's, it's, it's like I said before, it's when I, when we talk about questions, I, I think the talent is here to still have a really good team. I just don't know if we know yet exactly 
from a, a personality standpoint, an identity standpoint, what this team is necessarily. And last year, they had the added benefit of not only being, you know, four senior starters and then Carson Edwards on top of that, but they had played all of this basketball together. The whole thing in um, Taipei, um, Carson Edwards had the additional experience in Egypt. There was just, they and they had all those extra practices, and that was the whole program. Even the guy like Matt Harms who couldn't play, over there, still got to, and he wasn't able to fully practice, but it was still, you had, even the redshirt guys were getting a lot more time with the program. And this year, it's been more of a conventional offseason. So <clears throat> I don't know if they're going to be, I think it is a team that is probably going to peak even later in the season than they did last year. People kind of wondered, did this team peak a little early last year because they didn't finish maybe as strong as, as people thought that they had played up to that point. I think this is still a team that um that that maybe it may be looking at just that comes together more in the second half of the year just because they're probably still figuring out how to how to come together even as long as a man or as long as evan boudreau has been with the program now it's he's still a newcomer other guys are still newcomers that you're trying to weave into this thing all right they when they roll out the ball today who's who's the first group who's the first five I would. My assumption is you're probably going to see Nojel Eastern, Carson Edwards, Ryan Klein, and then I, I assume you'll see Boudreaux and Harms as a four-five. Uh, the other thing to remember is Harms, in theory, can also do some things right. that a four could do. So right. again, it's part of the versatility. But that's the five that I would pick just based on things I've heard and and very limited things we've seen since the end of last season. Um, however. Like I said, I think there's just there's 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 options here. If 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 Eric Hunter comes out and proves he's a really good option at both ends of the floor, that that, that lineup I just gave you is almost solely dependent on putting rebounding and defense first. Those are the five guys that I think, and more importantly, I think Matt Painter thinks are guys he can count on to go defend and get rebounds um, forty minutes a game. And then from there, you are. It's it's up to other people to prove that they can do those things at the level that Purdue would need to to get significant minutes on a Big Ten team. The other thing I'm, I'm anxious to see, eager to see here in these next 43 days, I mentioned Dewona before, and you've got Trevion Williams. They both came in with some some intriguing skills, but also some reasons to doubt whether they are ready from day one. Whether that's the physical. Um, things that Trevon Williams has talked about needing to get in better shape to play at this level. And, and what we said before about Delona, just in terms of some of his skills, especially on the offensive end, he's just a very raw player. He's only been playing basketball for a few years, but Purdue's roster situation being as thin as it is, you know, the, I don't know that they can really afford to redshirt anybody this year. I don't know if that necessarily makes sense, especially if you ever get into an injury situation then you, you really get thin in the front court pretty fast. We shouldn't um, shouldn't forget Grady Eifert at this point, who now basically is a I mean he is a scholarship player, and I think he's moved himself into the conversation where he shouldn't be thought of as just a a um, an afterthought or a, a just just a walk on anymore. I mean he's he's a he's a legitimate piece and um, probably still a supporting piece, a bench piece, but he's in that mix there around the the four and even the three if they absolutely need him. So, but I. I want to see how those two guys assert themselves here over these next 45 days or whatever it is, and whether they show that they're ready from day one 
and can come in and, and prove that they'll be contributors in some way because I think Purdue at some point will probably need those bodies whether it's because of injury or foul trouble or whatever they they need to be able to use those guys um, quickly well good luck with that (laughs) (laughs) it's a long road it's a it's a long road just to even get the season started usually there's a long for people people always ask us about things like this like what do you guys do in the offseason well a lot of it is a lot of time waiting for days like this to where you start to get the access to the players again, you start to get to, to do more reporting than you were doing for a while. You get these little lulls. So um, keep coming to, to jconline.com in the, the coming weeks, and we'll have various um, look-aheads to the season coming up, uh, the 2018-19 season. And uh, keep coming there for Mike Carmen's Purdue football coverage. We'll both be in Nebraska this Saturday for for that game and then then a bye week so i'm not sure what we'll do for the podcast during the bye week we'll find find something to to talk about we won't take the week off we are not on bye <laughs> we are here we're not you know we're not the those snowflake football players we play every week <laughs> man i'm gonna i'm gonna hear about that probably but um anyway thanks for joining us i'm nathan baird he's mike carmen come to jconline.com um for our purdue coverage all week